hello everyone and welcome back to chronic pain and paranoia it's us we're back for the extra spooky month of october happy october Woohoo! We like, i forgot october. to say that last time like happy spooky season we love a good spooky season it's already been spooky season for me since july 5th um just putting that out there it's always spooky season for us oh absolutely and this week's episode we're going to be talking about cases that movies were based off of yes that you may not know about i'm very excited for this episode i think it's going to be very fun mm-hmm. very spooky very creepy good movie suggestions oh 100 even though i'm gonna explain it all to you right here <laughs> i'm here for the spoilers because i um am too scared to watch most horror movies i still need to watch a dracula movie and tell you about it yes thank you report back <laughs> someone remind me and also just a reminder starting october 24th we are going to be releasing a mini episode every single day leading up to halloween with a very special full-length episode on halloween Mm -hmm. this is our nightmare week it's gonna be our scariest cases of all time and the cases that we don't normally do which we're doing all month long actually Mm -hmm. just the week of halloween extra scary there's just extra episodes in there for everyone's entertainment i almost went really southern there (laughs) (laughs) y'all are gonna be sick of us after this gonna be sick of us a mama Anyway, it's going to be super fun. I'm super excited for you guys to hear what we've cooked up for you. And with that, Emily, how are you feeling today? Today? So, everyone, I got diagnosed with PCOS this past week. News for Emily. Fun for me and my ovaries. But my ovaries feel like, you know those TikToks where they put like a bike pump to a grape? (laughs) Yes. It feels just like that, but you don't stop lovely just keeps going till it explodes pressure yeah mm-hmm. lovely because i have so many hormones that are happening yeah that's a that's a lot you don't need more things that was rude of them very rude who knows how long i've had it though yeah that's fair because there were some fun things in that ultrasound yeah anyways this I'm is like- a little morbid but i wonder when you get an autopsy done, if they'll be able to tell. <gasps> like, like, cut my ovaries open? Yeah, be like, oh, this has been going on for this many years. So you could like, go back. I don't I think it depends on the person and the hormones. You know what I mean, though? Yeah, but I wonder if, like, you could cut it open and be like, ooh, little pomegranate. Because I know they can do that for endo. They can be like, this person had endo for years and years and years. Oh, that's what they'd say about me. They'd say, oh. It's been a hot minute. It's dusty in there. <laughs> Anyway, just a thought. <laughs> like, a tumbleweed rolls across, even though I'm dead, and they've already done the autopsy. So, like, who left a window open? What is going on? There's, like, the little, um, dual music from the westerns. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> it is crackhead hours with Emily, so I apologize. Woohoo! We had a good kiki for the last hour and a half. Seriously. I'm very sleepy now. Anywho. Yeah, you tell us how you're feeling. Uh, so, as a kid... We had these family friends, and we would go up to their homestead, uh-huh. and they had a rope swing that would, like, go over the side of a cliff low-key, like a really tall hill, basically. Ooh, yeah. And the run-up to it had a lot of roots, uh-huh. and, like, you know, all the, you know, the land yeah. part had a lot of roots, so it was mm-hmm. kind of easy to trip and fall as a kid. Yeah. So, like, one time... I fell off of it, like, pretty bad, and, like, I remember the wind being knocked out of me really hard, and, like, a rock hitting my very lower back, and, like, hitting my hip on a tree root or something. Uh Uh-uh. Like, I, like, busted open my hip, like, it was bleeding. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, like, um... They were, like, screaming for their mom, and they thought I was dying. And the, <laughs> well, just and the same thing happened to my friend, the closest one in age to me, like, the next day. <gasps> and their mom was, thought there was, like, a cougar or something, like, killing us. It was really funny. Yeah. Anyway, I feel like that. That's fair. I but, thought like, you were going to go, like, bridge to Terabithia with it. Uh, yeah. That That's pretty be- much what that was. All, or, like, I fell off the side of the cliff because I was scared of doing that. Yeah. Like, rolling down. That movie is really traumatizing. Oh, I read the book. I remember 
crying. That's the first thing I ever cried to, like, the first movie. I cried while I was reading the book, and I just remember, like, hearing sniffs, like, all around the classroom in school while we were reading it. We never had fun books like that. I I read Lord of the Flies in eighth grade. I think I read Scarlet Letter. In eighth grade? Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. We're out here. We're out here. Anyway, let's get started. Yes, let's move on. This podcast contains sensitive material such as violence, murder, paranormal activity, and other adult topics, so listener discretion is advised. While we do research all of our episodes, we are just two Emilys with a microphone and a passion for all things spooky. Take it with a grain of salt. All of our sources will be in the show notes. Emily, so the movie that I picked was The Right. Okay. Have you seen or heard anything about it? Um, I think I've heard of it. It sounds familiar. It's the one with Colin O'Donoghue, I think that's his name. Hook from Once Upon a Time. Um, it was in 2012, I think. It did terrible in the box office. Like, everyone said it was the worst movie of all time. (laughs) I actually kind of enjoyed this movie so much that I've seen it twice. Oh, um, but I also was not raised Catholic, so I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I've, like, maybe heard of it. It relies more on, like, visual scariness than, like, and true. being interesting and stuff. Yeah, well, because it's based on a real-life situation mm-hmm. that we're going to get into. Mm-hmm. That's so, the whole point. I thought what I would do today is kind of go through the movie with y'all, so spoilers, um oh, and yeah. then just go frame not frame for frame but you know what i mean like frame by frame, frame, by frame here we go no like um, plot point by plot point if you will yeah of what happened real time mm-hmm. versus what didn't i'm um, excited yeah so i'm just gonna get into it also i wrote these notes while i was watching the movie so we'll see how this goes um it starts out like with this guy doing an embalming and prepping like at a funeral home mm-hmm. um he's doing with this n- with no ppe by the way I was so triggered. I was <laughs> Did so he triggered. Have gloves at least. I think he had gloves and an apron. But if you're doing an embalming, excuse me. The biohazards, the chemicals. Yes, it's like I was just traumatized. I was like, "Hello." Emily's like, "Who gave you your license?" I'm calling. His father them. did probably because it's a father-son. Father-son. That's usually how funeral homes work, though. Yeah. It's like a, a family thing. I just think it's funny to call non-Nepo babies Nepo babies. I just think it's fun to call Nepo babies Nepo babies. Like, It's funny. I'm sorry. Listen. I'm just saying what it is. Yeah, so this funeral home that he's working at is his actual home. Like, they live there. And that's his childhood home. That's weird. Yeah. Is that how that used to work? Yeah. Okay. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> Um, so, this movie's based, uh, focusing on this guy named Michael Kovac. Um, he's the one that was working in the funeral home. Mm-hmm. He's Hook from Once Upon a Time. I had a big crush on him. I don't know if it was a pirate thing or the fact that he has blue eyes. But, yeah. We were just discussing how Emily liked many a fictional boy. That's basically strictly who all my crushes were, were fictional. Oh, Absolutely. Dimitri, Anastasia. Should I give you some new ones? Um, some new ones? Some new ones. I loved Max from the Goofy movie. <laughs> yeah. Max from the Goofy movie. Who are, like, real-life ones? I. Every girl has a crush on a few Marvel characters. Oh, David Tennant from Doctor Who. Mmm. Mmm. Tall, lanky guy. My sister watched Doctor Who. I watched Doctor Who religiously in this house. I was a Sherlock girly. I was a super Who-lock girly. Yes. We've we've established this many times. This is just for the people listening. Yes. Super Who-lock is Supernatural, Doctor Who, Sherlock. Yes. The big three on Tumblr. The big three. Um, That was me. I think I was a little too young to have all three. Maybe. Slightly. 
I don't know. Either way, I was obsessed with all of them. Oh, yeah, so then I have to mention Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki. Um, also, Jess from Gilmore Girls. Because who didn't? This is a Jess household. Oh, my gosh. He was too good for Rory, though. Like, she deserved a Logan, but Jess was the best. Why am I, like, blanking on all mine? I know, oh, now that we have to see Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield. Mm-hmm. I think we all had a crush on Andrew Garfield. Obviously. How could you not? Amazing Spider-Man 2? Come on. PJ from Good Look Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, the boy from How to Eat Fried Worms. The main boy. Did you like the Jonas Brothers? I still like the Jonas Brothers. That's fair. I'm not going to get into the discourse about their divorce, but... Oh, T. This isn't a T... This is not a tea podcast. podcast. I really need to move on because I'm going to... We need to keep going. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. I just had to explain Peace that. Peace and love. Um, so, in his house, it's either you become a funeral director or you become a priest. One or the other. So, he signs up to go to seminary to become a Catholic priest. Um, he says he's going to drop out afterwards because at least it's free school, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um... So, he's not really, like, super into religion. It's just like, okay, I'm just here. It's just a thing. So, he writes out a little note, and he's like, I'm gonna leave, actually. And so, as he's leaving the school, he sees this girl get hit by a truck. Um, Woof. He's still wearing his, like... Priest collar thing. Yeah, the priest collar. And so, he runs over the girl, and she's like, Father, I'm so glad you're here. I didn't want to die like this. He's not a full-fledged priest yet. He's like, hey... (laughs) But because he's religious and, like, they're in a funeral home, like, he's heard the prayers so many times. Like, they yeah, have to. Yeah, yeah. So he starts praying over her, and she's relieved, and then she dies. hmm And then he has a talk with, like, like, the teacher guy. I don't know. I don't know how seminary works. And he's like, I believe in you. I think you can be a really good priest. Um, especially after what happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. I saw the way you did that. Mm-hmm. I want you to go to Rome. I want you to go study at the Vatican. Jeez. To become That's an intense. exorcist. What? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, you know what would be a great career path for you? Yes. Because he's what? like, you have potential, but I know you're studying with your, you're struggling with your faith. So here you go. That's I really weird. also wrote down at some point during this that over half a million exorcist there's half a million exorcist requests a year. And still? Still. To this day. Are we okay? Um I heard while I was researching for a later case this month that um exorcist kind of fell off of popularity like after the 1700s mm-hmm. especially in america yeah and then when the movie the exorcist was released mm-hmm. it had like a resurgence in popularity yep so much so that they had like priests at the theaters yes i'm gonna talk about that later this month that'll be fun very fun i'll probably bring this up again as well it's anyway. fun we just love to tell people so he goes to Rome. What a fun experience. He goes to the Vatican. He takes this one class um, to become an exorcist. They teach you all about exorcisms. Mm-hmm. So they kind of go into like the explanation of like, these are the symptoms of someone who's being possessed, possessed yeah. demonically. It's like weird body changes, thoughts that like that you shouldn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues. So, he's like, okay, weird. Also, side note, he meets a reporter at this time who's taking the class because she's writing uh, an article about exorcisms. That's unimportant for now. Um, So, he's, like, questioning the teacher deacon guy in front of the whole class. And he's like, you can have your doubts, but don't do it publicly here, please. And I thought that was really funny. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> so he then gets sent to go see Father Lucas, who's an exorcist. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, side note, there's only 14 practicing exorcists in the United States. I think it's 14 or 12 now. Man, how do they keep up with the demand? They don't. That's the thing. To get an exorcist, you have to send in a request. And they can just deny you. That's really funny. Yeah. 
I'm like, I would just do it myself. <laughs> Me emailing them, like, please. Please. SOS. Um, so he gets to see Father Lucas, and Father Lucas is, like, explaining, we have someone coming over, these are the things you don't do. Don't talk to it, only one person at a time, don't look at the person in the eyes, yada, yada, mm-hmm. yada. So they perform the exorcism, and it's, like, you know, your standard... You pray, girl's like growling. Mm-hmm. She's a pregnant girl, by the way. She's that's all we know about her so far. She's pregnant. Mm-hmm. She has a different voice. Mm-hmm. They do a quick little prayer, and he's like, "Well, did you expel the demon?" And he was like, "No, it takes time to expel a demon. Sometimes, like, hmm. interesting." Okay. okay, so then she comes back later in the movie. Something's happened. It's unimportant. She comes back. It's discovered that she's sixteen and pregnant. And she won't say who the baby daddy is. Mm, okay. Um, so they're going through this whole exorcism. And it's all weird. She's like body morphing, cracking, like, mm-hmm. you know, the ring girl. Um, and then our friend Michael Kovac suddenly starts talking to her. And he's like, who did this to you? Because she's wearing a bracelet that we see at the beginning he had done an embalming for like a funeral prep for yeah, it yeah, and yeah. the girl had the same charm bracelet hmm. i don't remember why that's important but that's important for some reason okay i believe you um yeah and so he's like asking her who's the father mm-hmm. who's the father and it comes out that the girl's baby daddy was her daddy oh no which is probably why she was possessed because the trauma or whatever i don't know how they wrote that off but she speaks in English and is talking about the lady that had killed herself and he did the funeral for who was wearing the charm bracelet. Uh. And then she's doing all these weird body contortions and mm-hmm. is saying things that only, like, he would know. Mm-hmm. And why she's speaking in English. So they're in Rome. She doesn't speak English. Yeah. And she starts choking up nails, like, blood and nails. And it's crazy. That's good. It's fun time. Um... And he's, so she goes home or something. I don't remember. She's like, well, that was fun. Yeah. See ya. Deuces. Um, so Father Lucas is trying to convince him, like, hey, you just saw what happened. You're still going to write it off? Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, basically. She could have swallowed those nails earlier. And I'm like, okay, but what about the English? I'm as skeptical as the next gal, but skeptics, skeptics make me mad. Like, how did she suddenly learn English and know that you... That's just straight denial. That you were a funeral person? Denial is a river in Egypt. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So then they go on a... They make a house call for a young boy. Um, And he's seeing, like, a mule with red eyes in his dreams. Yeah, that's not good. Telling him that he knows his father and that he should kill himself. And so the mother's really worried. She's like, why is my nine-year-old boy saying these things? Hello. So the father starts the exorcism, and then he runs to the other room, grabs the boy's pillow, and there's a frog in the pillow. And we're like, a frog? Why? I don't know. It's weird. So then they get back to Father Lucas's house because they walk together like cute little, I don't know, just little friends. Yeah. And Michael sees frogs in Father Lucas's house because he has like a well out front. And he's like, oh, He's doing this. He's setting this up, which is a rightful thought. Um, but it, it wasn't that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the 16-year-old girl who's pregnant, all of a sudden they learn that she tried to drown herself. So they try for another exorcism in the hospital. Does not work. Um, they see bugs, and then all of a sudden there's like a fetal heartbeat. Uh, I think Michael had left at this point. It's like going insane. Like. Mm-hmm crazy so then she starts hemorrhaging and there's blood all over the table or like the bed or whatever Mm -hmm. and she eventually dies Mm -hmm. and the baby no one survived that's so sad father lucas breaks down crying Mm because he like blames himself or something i don't know that's how i took it and then mike has a dream that someone is choking him i wrote down mike i said we're just gonna call him mike now good old mike um that someone's choking him and he has a dream about his dad and then he wakes up and he gets a call and he's like or no someone knocks on his door at the seminary vatican place Mm -hmm. and they're like i think i should tell you this 
in person. Your dad had a stroke. He's not in good condition. He's like, oh no. So he prepares to leave, but he can't leave because of some natural occurrence in the world, like a volcano or a storm or something. Oh, okay. So he can't leave. I thought you were going to say he woke up and there was a frog on his pillow. Yes. There were frogs in his room after he came back. All over his room. Like, a little forest of frogs. I'm a genius. You're so smart. <laughs> it's like you wrote this movie. <laughs> so, his f- <laughs> so his flight gets delayed. Um, so he calls the hospital, checks on his dad, and his dad's like, Where are you? Like, I miss you. What's going on? And then the thing clicks again. And it's like, hi, who do you need to talk to? And it's the doctor. No, it's the doctor. The doctor's like, hey, I've been meaning to tell you, but your father died earlier this afternoon. And he's like, no, I was just talking to him. And then he starts, and he has a breakdown, rightfully so, because his father just died. Um, So who were we talking to? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And demons. Then he has a flashback to his mom's funeral. So... Probably not the healthiest, but they took care of the mom's body after she passed. Yeah. It's one of his earliest memories. Um, That'll do something to you. Because his dad, like, kissed his mom on the forehead, and it just was like... I understand love, but she's still dead. Traumatic. Yeah. So then he hears, like, demonic laughing, but it's in the voice of, like, the 16-year-old girl who died. He's like, what is going on? And then he finds the charm bracelet, and he's, like, running down, like, this hotel area. Mm-hmm. And then he sees a donkey with red eyes, and it's also snowing, even though it's, like, the summertime. This is good. Yeah. And then... What? What? <laughs> I wrote down, your father's going to dead. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's why I wrote that. He went back to visit the boy right away with the news reporter lady that's, mm-hmm. like, with him from this point on. And he had seen the boy whispering to his mom when they'd visited him the first time. Mm-hmm. And she was like, what did? What were you whispering? Like, well, I saw you whispering. What, what were you whispering? And he said, uh, the, the voice told me that your dad was going to die. Hmm. And then his dad died. Yeah. So that's knowledge of things that are to come. Yeah. That you wouldn't otherwise know. And then the boy said, you've seen the demon too. And he was like, dun, 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 dun. (laughs) So. This is Emily's spark notes. (laughs) I'm trying to get through it as fast as I can. It's okay. I understand. Imagine being Bryce and this is how you get all your information (laughs) from me. (laughs) (laughs) So then, um. It pans over to Father Lucas, and he, like, whacks the little girl in the face and hits her to the ground, and she cries because we're like, what's going on at this point? You could see all these weird signs. It looks like he's possessed by a demon. Hmm. Yeah, because he's also not wearing clothes under his trench coat. Like, you don't see anything, but, like, it's suggested. And so you're just like, ew. What's he doing? Yeah. Then he goes back to his house, thankfully. That's all that happens is that he hits a little girl, which is terrible. I'm laughing that because really that's- bad terrible Mm -hmm. um and he's last seen twitching then we go back to mike and he catches up with him as father lucas is returning back to the house um and father lucas says he can't pray anymore he says it feels heavy i can't do this anymore lucas says mike will need help to exercise the demon that's in him because it's strong so he calls like the exorcist teacher that was at the vatican but he's on business out of the country. So he's got to do this himself. So they strap Father Lucas to a chair. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. And a new voice comes out of Father Lucas that says, he belongs to me now. And it's like scratched into the wall. And all like the crosses and like religious stuff are like flipped upside down mm. and defaced. So the demon's been up to stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it says, the father isn't here. And, like, all these weird body contortion things happen. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you can't get rid of me because you don't have the faith or something or whatever. (laughs) And he shook me like a rag doll. (laughs) That's what this is reading. Yes. He shook me like a rag doll. And then Angelina comes in and he starts saying things that are just uncomfortable. 
So they strap him down, and he starts with the exorcism. I already said that, but you get the idea. Yeah. So they do the exorcism, and he's like, you don't have faith. And then he, like, Mike's eyes roll back, and they go to white. And then he has a flashback of his mom. And he's like, no, I believe in you, so I believe in God. And then he exorcises this demon. And that's it. That's the movie. (laughs) That's it? (laughs) That's it. They have a little, like... Is she some guy with mommy issues? Basically, they, like... sorry clean it up a little bit and then he has to go back to america because like he's got to finish his seminary school or whatever then he becomes a priest Hmm. and this is all based on a true story and i assume we're about to get into that true story right now yeah that's why i was trying to hurry it up as fast Mm -hmm. as i could i hope everyone could understand that but (laughs) i understood it it's this is what it's like to talk to me in real life Emily's laughing because she knows. Oh, I can attest. All those undisclosed undisclosed bakery days. Oh, yeah. Emily, I call you at least twice a week, too. I know, and then you have to hear me describe everything. Well, I ask for it. I call you. That's true. Um, so, I found this particular article on chasingthefrog.com. It'll be linked. Um, it just compares this to the real story. Mm-hmm. So, the real face of Mike was Father Gary Thomas. Mm-hmm. Does that name sound familiar it to does. you? It does. That's because in, I think it was BuzzFeed Unsolved. Yeah. He's the priest <gasps> that gives them the holy water. Yeah. He has his own little parish in California. This is him? This is his face. That is his story. Granted, one of the things I'm going to get into right away... I'm shook. He was not young. He was not questioning his faith. He just got sent by his bishop to go take this Vatican class. And that's that. So This the, is... Cr- okay, I'm so excited now. Yeah. So, the questioning in the story, are Vatican... Are there really classes about the exorcism? Yes. At the Vatican-affiliated Antonio Pontin... I can't say that. Whatever. In Rome, there's a course titled Exorcism and Prayer of Liberation. It was thought up by Professor Dr. Giuseppe Ferrari, who was assisted by the school's rector, Father Paolo Scafarno, I don't know, to make the idea a reality. Because there's also a book on this. I bought it, but I didn't have time to read it. <laughs> I won't tell. Thanks. Thanks for everyone not paying attention. <laughs> so they do have classes. Did the real Michael Korvac take classes in Rome to become an exorcist? Yes. According to the Write the True Story, Father Gary Thomas um, attended exorcism classes, among others, during his nine-month stay. He arrived in Rome during the summer of 2005. So that's how recent it was. Yeah, that's crazy. Did the priest and the journalist work together after meeting in exorcism class? Yes. Male journalist Bat... Matt? Whoa. Bag- Bagalow and Father Gary Thomas met in the class. So they kind of changed it to a girl to give it, like, tension in the movie. Yeah. But you're also like, isn't this guy going to be a priest? Mm-hmm. That's how does, weird. How does that work after he's a priest? Um. Did the real Michael Kovac follow a practicing exorcist? Yes. During his sabbatical in Rome, Reverend Gary Thomas decided it was important not only to learn about exorcisms, but to experience them as well. He sought out exorcists in the city to apprentice with during his stay and was captivated by Cappuccini Father Carmine de Phillips, the real Lucas, Father Lucas. Yeah. During their time together, he witnessed approximately 80 exorcisms. Wow. Which is crazy. That's so scary. And now the question that we all want to know. Yes. Did she actually spit up nails? (laughs) I know you were asking it. Again, it's crackhead hour. No. Uh, yes, she did. Mama, what? Yes, but the true story behind the right reveals that it was not witnessed by Father Gary. Um, but he sure heard about it. Uh huh. In the book, the incident was told to by Father Thomas by Franciscan Franciscan priest who was present when a woman vomited seven black nails. 
one of which he kept for the rest after the rest liquefied before his eyes. What? Yeah. So Father Gabriel Amorth, the one who did that exorcism, um, said he has done more than seven thousand exorcisms to his name, and says he's seen nails and other objects, including shards of glass and radio equipment parts, vomited up. Yes. What? So basically, when you're possessed, anything can come up and out of you. Things you need to know. No thanks. Um, and Doctor Father, no, whoa, not Doctor. Father Thomas did work in a funeral home. While attending mm. a funeral as a teenager, Gary was approached by one of the owners and asked if he wanted to work there part time. At the age of fourteen, he accepted employment and began working odd jobs at the Nauman Lincoln Roof Mortuary. Which is not unheard of. Surprisingly, a lot of people in the funeral industry start really young. Like, my boss, I think she started when she was 14 or 15. Wow, that's crazy. Um, but she also lived in a smaller town. Mm-hmm. How many exorcists are here in the United States? As of February 2011, Gary Thomas estimated that there were between 25 and 50. Those but, are better odds than 14. Yeah, but it's a lot lower now. Yeah. It's been suggested that every diocese? I don't know that word, should have an exorcist, in which case there should be nearly 200. Mm. But at the same time, it's like, it's not really a thing we do anymore. Yeah. Unless it's like extreme. And like, there are a lot of people who don't even believe in demons or ghosts or any of that. Yeah. Also, there were no frogs and no one got hit by a car. Ooh. And Father Lucas wasn't actually taken over by a demon. That was all for theatrical effect. Yeah, that's fair. And also, his dad didn't really die after a premonition. That's good. No donkeys. That's also good. Um, Did the crosses flip? Probably not, since he wasn't actually... That's fair. But, like, what if they took that from a different exorcism? Oh, yeah, that's a legit thing that happens. They turn upside down. Okay. You know, why are these demons so against crosses if they can just turn them upside down anyways? And, like, it's an object. I know. I I mean, like, I understand the power in it, but, like, if you're afraid of it, don't turn it upside down. Yeah. Because then it's just the cross of Peter. Exactly. Which is still, like, good. Light it on fire. Like, phasmophobia. Just, you know... (laughs) You know. <laughs> what are the signs of a possessed being? Former exorcist Father Gabriel? 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 It's spelled weird. Mm. Nani cites four accepted signs of possession, which include speaking in unknown languages, showing a disproportionate physical strength to one's natural capacity, mm-hmm. um, the repulsion to sacred things such as crucifix and prayers. Mm hmm. And knowledge and events that happen far away in terms of times and places. Mm-hmm. Um, so each case of exorcism is a bit different. Exorcists have been seen, have seen a wide variety of indicators that vary depending on the severity of possession. In mild cases, the victim often coughs uncontrollably, screams, swears, drools, tremors, yawns, winces, belches, hisses, gun- grunts, growls, froths, fidgets, and or pushes away. Just to name a few. Sounds like rabies. Basically, sometimes possessed beings' actions escalate to hitting and throwing things such as chairs they are in, spitting, flailing, and having seizure-like moments. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why it's, like, a hot take to do exorcisms, because it presents itself as mental disabilities and mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. And it's problematic. The Catholic Church says they usually try to get, like, like a psychologist in first yeah it could be did it could be schizophrenia it could be a seizure disorder which is very very common Uh for exorcism related things Uh we're gonna get into that later this month exactly so this is like a precursor to the rest of the month which is why i kind of wanted it because this is a learning moment it's just us learning about exorcisms through the eyes of the catholic Mm -hmm. church um because you can't get possessed if you don't let them. And yeah. That's what I tell myself. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're funny. You want to take a spin in this bag of bones? No, you don't. A demon would possess me and immediately leave. 
be like, <laughs> it'd be like, oh. They're like, it's already haunted in here. There's already a demon in here. We like, gotta get oh, out. My bad. I didn't mean to take your spot, bro. It's like they accidentally walk into a room. Oh, oh, my bad. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean it. So, can anyone become possessed, according to Father Gary? A demon doesn't show up, it has to be invited in, like I stated yeah. earlier. The involvement in pagan, satanic, or occult practices are the classical ways. Mm -hmm. While less common, it is understood that you can invite them in without your participation, such as by cursing or having a past family member promise a child to the devil. I don't mean to laugh. To be safe, he would suggest stay close to God in prayer and refrain from being involved in things that would be considered to be the New Age rituals of the New Age rituals of the occult, such as Wicca, tarot cards, Ouija boards, you know. All the things I like to do. Yeah. Listen. My personal belief. You can't get attached if you don't let it. It's all in the power that you give it. And also, like... You can't invite something if you're not looking, like, into the darkness. And, like, welcoming dark things into your life. Correct. Do I take things a little too far sometimes? Maybe... But I'm not particularly worried because I'm, I'm not worried like, about you, Emily. No, I'm aware that I have a physical body, and the demon doesn't. So be jealous. Like we we automatically have more power over demons just because we have a physical body and they don't. Exactly. I'm like, what are you gonna just do? Just remember that. What are you gonna do to me, huh? They are kicking, screaming, throwing up. I have a Bigfoot. Oh, with wait, they can't. Exactly. We have a Bigfoot with a rosary on it right now. We're chilling. He has a physical body and they don't. Could you imagine if it got possessed? He can't because I put the rosary beads on it. But also, like, I feel like he'd be nice. Look a demon? Him. Oh, yeah. That's like... It's not going to be an Annabelle situation. No. We have a little Bigfoot in our podcast set that no one else sees. Yeah. One day you guys can see it. Anyway. How many hoaxes does uh, Father Thomas typically encounter? The real Reverend Gary Thomas does not consider any person seeking help as a hoax. While many people truly believe they are needed of an exorcism, few actually do. It is for this reason that everyone requesting the service is put through a variety of tests conducted by his team, which includes a clinical psychologist, a psychiatrist, a physician, two additional priests, and occasionally other professionals like therapists who together help him determine a course of action. Which I think is very fair. That is very professional of him. I respect that. The process is referred to as discernment. If everyone is mm -hmm. in agreement, the request is made to the bishop who gives the final word. They're like, yeah, that's a demon. <laughs> yeah. Hollywood has, has put people under the impression that an exorcism is a one-time event. But that is not how it works. It, like, in the movie, it can take... A few times. A couple sessions. Many times. Would. Does participating in this movie open up actors to demonic possession? When asked that question by two of the actors and the producer of the film, The Right, Priest Gary would only respond, possibly, which pop off. Mayhaps. You could. Who's to say? Not me. I really love that for him. Um, but that's kind of all I have for you today. That's really interesting, though. It was kind of me on crack. I'm happy that it was about Father Gary Thomas. If you don't know who we're talking about, go back to the early days of um, BuzzFeed Unsolved. Specifically, I think he's in the Sally House episode because that's the first demonic location they went to. Uh -huh. And they saw him first. He's a real good guy. I like him. I think he's nice. He's legit. <laughs> um, and he's seen some things. Yes. I would just like Be to... Be careful out there. Yes. I would just but like also to thank everyone. Stress about too much. Um, this was a wild ride of an episode for me. I had a good time. And this is the raw unedited me. Good luck. I had a good time. But I'm used to the unedited you. Because I do the editing. Sometimes. Yeah. Half the time. And also you we get split this it. real time. Yes. I'm very ADD. And Emily's very aware of that. And so our conversations sound like popcorn. Our conversations are a stream of consciousness. Yeah, it's like, oh... And we're just, like, jumping from rock to rock. Yeah, it's like, oh, did you watch that movie? And then Emily would be like, oh, my leg hurts. And I'm like, oh, that hurts really bad. And then Emily would be like, yeah, that movie was really good. And then I'll bring up a third conversation. 
It's like having just six, like bouncing six conversations at one time. But we understand, so it's okay. Yeah. So that's what that was. Um, it's kind of just like a precursor to everything else to come this month. Yes. Stay tuned. Yeah. I'm it, excited. It's a fun ride. Um, there'll be more possessions. I think Emily's doing one. I am. I'm dipping my toes into the paranormal for once. Dip the toes in. Mm-hmm. I asked Emily for permission. I said, yes, of course. I was like, just don't do this one, okay? And I said, I didn't even have that on my roadmap. Very good. Excellent. Well, I'm going to take us the true crime route per usual today. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about the movie The Strangers. Have you ever seen no, but I feel like I've heard of it. Perfect. The Strangers is a 2008 American psychological horror film written and directed by Brian Bernantino in his directorial debut and is the first installment in the Strangers film series. The plot follows Kristen and James, whose stay at a vacation home is disrupted by three masked criminals who infiltrate, who infiltrate the home. The screenplay was inspired by two real-life events, the multiple homicide Manson family Tate murders and a series of break-ins that occurred in Bernantino's neighborhood as a child. Some journalists noted the similarities between the film and the Keddy Cabin murders that occurred in Keddy, California in 1981, though Bernantino did not cite this as a reference. Hmm. I call BS, and that's what we're talking about today. Woo! I love when you call BS. Thank you. I do too. (laughs) In July of 1979, Glenda Susan, or Sue Sharp, um, along with her five children, left her home in Connecticut after separating from her husband, James Sharp. They relocated to Northern California, where Sue's brother, Don, lived. Upon arriving in California, she rented a small trailer, formerly occupied by her brother at the Claremont Trailer Village in Quincy. The following fall, she moved to a house number 28 in the rural Sierra Nevada railroad town of Keddie. The house was much larger than the trailer and had become available when the Plumas County Sheriff Sylvester Douglas Thomas vacated the property. That's a long name. Mm -hmm. She resided there with her 15-year-old son, John, 14-year-old daughter, Sheila, 12-year-old daughter, Tina, and two younger sons, Rick, 10 and greg five that's a lot of kids yeah there's five i think hold on and they're all young one two i think there's five to four four or five no because it was the three older and then the two little ones yes yeah there's a lot so on april 11th 1981 around 11:30 a.m sue sheila and greg drove from the residence of their friends the meeks family to retrieve rick who is attending baseball tryouts at gansner field in quincy Precious. they happened upon john and his friend dana hall Widengate hitchhiking at the mouth of the canyon from quincy to keddy and then drove them about six miles away to keddy Two hours later, around 3.30 p.m., John and Dana hitchhiked to Quincy, where they may have had plans to visit friends. Around this time, the boys were seen in the city's downtown area. That same evening, Sheila had plans to spend the night with the Seabolt family, who lived in adjacent number 27. They were number 28. Mm -hmm. While Sue remained home with Rick, Greg, and the boys' young friend, Justin Smart, Sheila departed House 28 shortly after 8 p.m. to sleep at the Seawolds, which she had never before done. First, first uh, sleepover. Very fun. Hmm. I know. Um, <laughs> That's my opinion on sleepovers. Same. Hmm. My kids will not. We don't go to other will kids' not. houses. No. <laughs> <laughs> me at your house right now (laughs) we don't go to other people's houses emily you don't count thanks (laughs) (laughs) you're my emo teenage daughter that's fair tina who had been watching television at the seabolt residence was told by sheila that sue wanted tina home by 10 p.m so tina returned to number 28 around 9 55 p.m so interesting that she let her other daughter have a sleepover yeah 
At approximately 7 a.m. on the morning of April 12th, Sheila returned to number 28 and discovered the dead bodies of Sue, John, and Dana in the house's living room. All three had been bound with medical tape and electrical cords. Tina was absent from the home while the three younger children, Rick, Greg, and Justin, were found physically unharmed in the adjacent bedroom. Hmm. Initial reports stated that the three young boys had slept through the incident, although this was later contradicted. Upon discovering the scene, Sheila rushed back to the Seabolt's house, and Jamie Seabolt retrieved Rick, Greg, and Justin through the bedroom window, uh, he later admitted to having briefly entered the home through the back door to see if anyone was still alive, potentially contaminating the evidence in the process. No. But it's also, like... I get it, but no. But also, like, he retrieved the kids through the window so they didn't have to see. That's so good, though. Really sad. So, which daughter, age-wise, was the one that found them? The oldest daughter or, the like, the middle one? So, she's the oldest daughter okay but the second oldest kid she's 14 okay that makes sense why she would be allowed to have a sleepover then yeah because the next daughter was like 12 i think yeah she's a little bit younger the murders of sue john and dana were especially vicious uh two bloody knives and one hammer were found at the scene Mm -hmm. and one of the knives a steak knife later determined to have been used in the murders have been bent roughly (gasps) 30 degrees what i know blood spatter evidence from inside the house indicated that the murders had all taken place in the living room oh sue was discovered lying on her side near the living room sofa nude from the waist down Mm. and gagged with a blue bandana and her own underwear which had been secured with tape she had been stabbed in the chest and her throat was stabbed horizontally the wound passing through her uh larynx nicking her spine and on the side of her head was an imprint matching the butt of a daisy 880 powerline bb pellet rifle that's very violent yeah john's throat had been slashed dana had multiple head injuries and had been manually strangled to death john and dana suffered blunt force trauma to their heads caused by one or more hammers Autopsies determined that Sue and John died from the knife wounds and blunt force trauma, and Dana died by asphyxiation. So interesting that there was a change in motive, or not motive, a method. Yeah. Sheila and the Seawolf family with whom Sheila had spent the night um, heard no commotion during the night. A couple living nearby in House 16 was awakened at 1.15 a.m. by what sounded like muffled screaming. Tina's jacket, shoes, and a toolbox containing various tools were missing from the house, which showed no indication of forced entry. The house's telephone had been taken off the hook and the cord cut from the outlet. The drapes were closed. Martin Smart, a neighbor and a main suspect, claimed that a claw hammer had inexplicably gone missing from his home. Plumas County Sheriff Sylvester Thomas, who presided over the case, later stated that Martin had provided endless clues in the case that seemed to throw the suspicion away from him. In addition to interviewing the smarts, detectives interviewed numerous other locals and neighbors, several including members of the Seabolt family recalled seeing a green van parked at the Sharps' house around 9 p.m., Justin offered conflicting stories of the evening and stated that he had dreamt details of the murders, although he later claimed to have actually witnessed them. In his later account of events, he told under hypnosis he claimed to have awoken to the sounds coming from the living room while asleep in the bedroom with Rick and Greg. Investigating these sounds, he saw Sue with two other men, one with a mustache and short hair, the other clean-shaven with long hair. Both wore glasses. According to Justin, John and Dana had entered the home and began heatedly arguing with the men. A fight ensued, after which Tina entered the room and was taken out of the cabin's back door by one of the men. Based on Justin's descriptions, composite sketches of the two unknown men were produced by 
Harlan Embry, a man with no artistic ability <laughs> and no training in forensic sketching. You're joking. I wish I was. It was never explained why, with access to the Justice Department's and FBI's uh, top forensic artists, law enforcement chose to use an amateur who sometimes volunteered to help local police. No. In press releases accompanying the sketches, the suspects were described as in their late 20s, early 30s. One stood between 5 feet and 11 inches and 6 feet and 2 inches, tall with dark blonde hair, and the other between 5, 6, and 5, 10, with black greased hair. Ew. Both wore gold-framed sunglasses. They're matching. The fact that they had an amateur artist go in there, it's like if you and you or I were to go in there, slight, maybe some artistic ability. We're crafty, and I was pretty good in high school. You would be good with paints. Yes. I fully believe that. But if you went in there with charcoal, Whew. Emily, what could you do? Break pencils. <laughs> I'd go in there and I'd be like, so this is my like rough, it would be like a Picasso painting. I'd be like, oh, yeah. But with a mechanical pencil you're like squint your eyes I'm like squint your eyes and they're like stand on one foot <laughs> don't look too close close the other eye no this this case is very frustrating so rumors regarding the crimes um being ritualistic or motivated by drug trafficking were dismissed by plumas county sheriff doug thomas who stated in the week following the murders that neither drug paraphernalia nor illegal drugs were found in the home. About 4,000 man hours were spent working the case, which Thomas described as, quote, frustrating. I agree. What? I'm frustrated with you for not doing good. Yeah, what year was this again? Uh, 1981. So, I want to mention here that one of the girls, Tina, mm-hmm. not at the scene at all. Missing. Oh, she's missing. She's gone. She never came back after they took no, her no, out. No, no, no. So, Tina's disappearance was initially investigated by the FBI as a possible abduction, although it was reported on April 29th, 1981, that the FBI had backed off the search as the California State Department of Justice was doing a, quote, adequate job and, quote, made the FBI's presence unnecessary. Okay. A grid pattern search of the area covering a five-mile radius around the house was conducted with police canines, but efforts were fruitless. Hmm. Only five miles, though. On April 22, 1984, a bottle collector discovered a cranium portion of a human skull and part of a mandible. Mm -hmm. What's a mandible? Your jaw, like the part that goes down. Thank you. At Camp 18, near Feather Falls in neighboring Butte County, roughly 100 miles from Keddy, the remains were confirmed by a forensic pathologist to be those of Tina in June of 1984. Near the remains, detectives also discovered a blue nylon jacket, a blanket, and a pair of Levi's Strauss jeans mm-hmm. with a missing back pocket and an empty medical tape dispenser. Remember... They, the victims were restrained with medical tape. Mm-hmm. Shortly after announcing the discovery, the Butte County Sheriff's Office received an anonymous call that identified the remains as belonging to Tina, but the call was not documented. What? A tape containing a recording of the call was found at the bottom of an evidence box at some point after 2013. Girl, what? By a deputy who was assigned to the case. The house in which the murders occurred was demolished in 2004. Did they not care? So this happened in 1981. And this guy, you know, signed in the case, digging through the evidence box, found it at the bottom in 2013. Did they not care? I don't know. I'm like, what? So in a 2008 documentary on the murders, Marilyn Smart claimed that she suspected her husband, Martin, and his friend, John, quote, Bo day. I don't know. Wait, you're joking. Whatever the wife is like, I think my husband did it. The husband always does oh, it. Oh, yeah. We're responsible for the murders. Marilyn claimed that on the evening of April 11th, 1981, she left Martin and his friend at a local bar around 11 p.m. She returned home to sleep. 
She stated that she had awoken at approximately 2 a.m. on April uh, 12th to find the two men burning an unknown item in the wood stove. Oh, no. Additionally, she alleged that Martin, quote, hated Johnny Sharp with a passion. Hmm. However, in the 2008 documentary, Sheriff Doug Thomas said that he had interviewed Martin, who passed a polygraph examination. So? Polygraphs are not reliable. They have been proven to be unreliable many, many, many times. Because it just tracks your heart rate. If you can keep that down, you're cool. Oh, yeah. Also, was he the guy that was like, it wasn't my house? Like, I have this hammer that was randomly stolen? Yes. Yeah, okay. I figured. Like, it's okay if it's like one piece of evidence that you're like, hey, this is kind of sketch. think you should know. Mm -hmm. But if it's repeated, like... He's like, oh, by the way, this, this And also, here's my alibi. And this thing. I wasn't there. According to a 2016 article published by the Sacramento Bee... Martin had left Ketty and driven to Reno, Nevada sort- shortly after the murders. While there, he sent a letter to Marilyn ruminating on personal struggles in their marriage, which he concluded by stating, I've paid the price of your love, and now I've bought it with four people's lives. Girl, what? In a 2016 interview, Gamberg uh, stated that the letter was, quote, overlooked in the initial investigation it was never admitted as evidence. Why? He later criticized the quality of the initial investigation, saying, you could take someone just coming out of the academy and they'd have done a better job. I could have done a better job. Me too. We could have sat there and been like, okay, so this so guy that him. says he didn't do it, check into him. Why are all his tools missing? He's wearing a trench coat. Why can't his hours be his like... His hands are bloody. His hands are bloody. Actually, he has evidence in his in his backyard. And also, the neighbor said it was him. And also, his wife said it was him. Literally, everyone says it's him, and they're like, "Mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. We did a polygraph. It's fine. So, a counselor who Martin regularly visited also alleged that he had admitted to the murders of Sue and Tina, but claimed, quote, I didn't have anything to do with the boys. He allegedly told the counselor that Tina was killed to prevent her from identifying him as she had quote witness the whole thing because she walked in yeah allegedly this is on in a professional setting written down word for word i killed these people didn't mm-hmm. have anything to do with the boys but those two yeah i did it one of them saw my face so martin smart died of cancer in portland oregon in june 2000 no his friend, who allegedly, who allegedly had ties to organized crime in Chicago, died there in 1988. So his friend, who supposedly helped him. Too bad they never saw a day in jail. I know. On March 24th, uh, 2016, a hammer matching the description that which um, Martin had claimed to have lost was discovered in a local pond and taken into evidence by Plumas County investigator Mike Gamberg. Plumas County Sheriff Hagwood, who was 16-year-old at the time of the murders and knew the Sharp family, stated (laughs) the location it was found, it would have um, been intentionally put there. It would not have been accidentally misplaced. Gamberg also stated that at the time, six potential suspects were being examined. In April 2018, Gamberg stated that DNA evidence recovered from a piece of tape at the crime scene matched that of a known living suspect. And that's all we know. Mm, I still think it's the guy that the wife said did it. Definitely doesn't look good, and they definitely should have like looked into him more. There's a lot of things that they should have done. Like their jobs. Yeah. Anything. So that's the Kitty Cabin murders. That's frustrating. I know. But also, like, one of the reasons why I chose this is I think, like, being murdered in a cabin in the woods is, like, really scary. It's top scary up there. Mm -hmm. We had a family cabin, and I was always afraid of Bigfoot. I remember telling me that i think i said it on this podcast you're like scared of them looking through the windows and i was also scared of like i was just scared of the unknown 
Like, 100%. Because it's dark in the woods. You can't see past mm-hmm. however far the light can shine out the window. Mm-hmm. It's quiet. And every little sound freaks you out. Oh, 100%. So to be murdered in that situation, I would simply have a heart attack and die before they can no, do anything yeah. to me. It's terrible. It's a terrible way to go. And it's so sad that, like, a majority of a family was wiped out in one night. Yeah, it's and horrific. then, like, the little boys were there, and it's like, uh... I hope they didn't remember anything. Yeah. Well, one of them did. Unfortunately. That was the account that he gave at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It was so sad. Well, that's all I have for you guys this week. Remember to tune back in next week. Mm-hmm. All October is going to be insane. Remember to tune in for Nightmare Week starting October 24th. It's going to be a spooky, scary time. So excited. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Chronic Pain and Paranoia. Remember to rate, comment, review, subscribe. It helps out a lot. Mm-hmm. And plug in your heating pads. Take your meds. And stay spooky. Stay spooky. Goodbye. Goodbye.